Danny. Danny, thank you so much for having me back. And it's a joy to be back. And I believe you put a spell, a good spell, uh, on the journey of Boy Swallows Universe about two years ago. And um, I've never, ever forgotten uh, how kind and generous you were to have me on early on um, when Trent Dalton and the world of uh, literary fiction were, were pretty strange to each other. And uh, I was very touched that you took the time of day and I'm, and it's so cool that you took the time of day again. I feel like I'm part of the Words and Nerds family. You guys are so amazing and lovely and such a family of amazing literary lovers and creators and people who advocate. Oh, thanks so much for your questions engaging with the novel and for everything you're doing. I know the podcast is hugely, hugely loved, so um, you're a gem. I think it's awesome the work that you do you know, we're out there in this pool of, of like how many writers there are in this country and we're all trying to get our book to the surface. Podcasts like this enable us to do that and also to talk about our craft. Danny, you're a gift from heaven. I love that you're such a great supporter and advocate for not only kids' books but adult novels too. I love your interviews across the board. Kudos to you, Danny, for, uh, for getting everyone to relax so much that they open up and tell you such interesting things for the benefit of your listeners. So, well <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Yeah, well done. That's so true. Oh my gosh, I just told you all these things that I've never talked about before. I could never edit that bit out. I could do this. And I was just so comfortable that I was like, It's a special knack. Who wouldn't want to celebrate this fabulous podcast? Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. On this podcast, we chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. I'm your host, Danny V, and I'm super excited to welcome a return guest and someone that I just laugh disruptively loud with when we're out in public, and that is Anna Downs. Hello, <laughs> Hello Anna. How are you? Hello. I'm so good, Danny. Thanks for having me on. I'm just going to share with listeners, you wrote me a little note when you sent me your uncorrected proof, and I just loved the last line that said, May the future of in-person events be bright and may our laughter always be disruptively loud. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Gosh, that feels like a long time ago, it does. doesn't it? We were but at we... Um, Words on the Waves. We were. Festival. Such a wonderful festival. Remember, we were free and we could leave the house and um, we just were having a bit too much fun. And, you know, we may have been a bit loud for the oh. festival that was going on. We were, we were just, we were outside, weren't we? Outside with Solari. The rooms. With Solari. And it was so much fun. We were, we were having such a giggle and we got shushed, but rightly so. Rightly, rightly so. so. Rightly we were, so. Being a we were totally in the wrong, but that is now our, our thing. We have to just go and be obnoxiously yeah. laughing. Oh, I've, but I, I, you know, it's my cross to bear. I have a, a ridiculously loud laugh. I remember at, at drama school um, being told um like being told off um for la like making too much noise during student performances you know like laughing too loud that was my my overall feedback that was, was your thing mm -hmm. laughs too loud well you know I edit the podcast and I have to listen to my uh witch laugh continually so I think <laughs> it's a great laugh not witch laugh I think between laugh. the two of us yes yeah. a lot of loud inappropriate laughing so hopefully we'll do a bit of that too. I, do you know I would actually say it's appropriate not inappropriate absolutely 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 I'm going to introduce you because I feel like I should do that properly so, okay Anna Anna you're amazing you've studied drama at Manchester before winning a place at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art moving to London and becoming very famous in a career that included credits in EastEnders <laughs> I remember you were doing impersonations 
<laughs> when we had the best Was one. I? <laughs> what? Of, of people on EastEnders? No, no, of your character. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, who was my character now? Karen from the brewery. Yeah, Karen cheap. from the brewery. I loved that mm-hmm. so much. <laughs> so your best-selling debut novel, The Safe Place, was published in Australia, the US and the UK in 2020. And now The Shadow House is your new second book. So welcome back. Thank you. It's lovely to be back. Thank you. It's so great that you've got this amazing novel and I loved it. And you've got Candace Fox on the front going vivid, tense and troubling. Like, how cool is that? Oh, it's just stupid cool. Stupid cool. Like, that woman is awesome. I'm such a big fan. I'm such a big fan of her work, but I I am a kind of, if it's possible, even more of a fan of of just her. She is fantastic. fantastic She's an original, that's for sure. Yeah, adore her. (laughs) An original human being. She's wonderful. Here's something with an elevator pitch, Anna, for the Shadow House. Oh God. Right. I'm still practicing. Uh, So basically the shadow house is about a single mum of two, Alex, who moves with her baby and her teenage son to uh, a remote eco village in an attempt to start again. She's trouble. uh, She's fleeing a a troubled past. Um, And at first it seems wonderful. You know, the community is great. She makes some friends. It's very safe. Uh, it suits her purposes perfectly, um, but pretty soon some very strange things start to happen to her, and she finds out that the same strange things happened six years earlier to a woman who used to live on the land that the eco-village was built over. Uh, so the book becomes about Alex's quest to find out what happened in the past so she can save her son in the present. Now, the novel focuses on vulnerability, a single mother fleeing an abusive relationship. But, you know, with vulnerability also comes so much strength. Why was it important for you to explore this? Um, so the book was written really quite quickly and under a fair amount of pressure. So some of the decisions that I made with regards to the plot and the characters have felt sort of they've come they've bubbled out from a kind of a subconscious area um so I'm still kind of processing some of my choices uh, but I I think with Alex what I really wanted for her was a sense that she you know of of, of complete self-sufficiency so to start with I just wanted to rip away as many of her supports as possible and start her from a place of as you say intense vulnerability uh, and kind of personal isolation but she's also somebody um, who has already proved herself a little you know she she's she's not somebody that's kind of coming from a place of complete collapse she has already made a decision about you know what she wants out of life and how she wants to to go about getting it uh, unfortunately that decision kind of puts her in even more danger um but i think that it's in, it, it, in terms of the themes it, it is important i think always to um show light in darkness and um strength as a result or or you know within vulnerability um is often the light in uh, her horrendous situations you know people pulling through people finding their way through and I think as well you know um with domestic noir and recent thrillers you know we've we've had a, a kind of a slew of 
novels that focus on female neuroses and female um, stories and voices, which is absolutely wonderful and so important. And I think that, you know, that, that this kind of recent trend of mum noir mm-hmm. is absolutely brilliant because it opens up conversations about, um, you know, the realities of mothers and the realities of women. Um, and now I think I'm ready to move on to stories where the women they've had their voices heard maybe, or that, you know, they've reached a place of some kind of reckoning with themselves. And now it's time for them to figure themselves out and kind of reach uh, a kind of, um, I don't know, I guess Alex is, she is fighting and grappling with aspects of herself, but she ultimately, she's just onto a bigger task of protecting her kids in a very scary world and, um, yeah just basically just figuring her shit out um aren't we all just doing that i think so i think so i think it it just it does feel like something that i was doing myself while writing this book which is you know trying to make sense of a really scary world particularly when it comes to raising children yeah absolutely and i think vulnerability is more important than ever you know, particularly now when we're all feeling a little bit vulnerable and yeah. reading about that, but then reading, like you said, the light that goes with it and the strength that eventually comes from that. I think that's so important for us to be just having in the back of our heads right now. Yeah. And I think as well, like it, it, you don't have to, you know, when we talk about strength, it doesn't have to be a, a, a kind of um, an obvious fight or a, a struggle. Like sometimes it is just the quiet business yeah. of getting just on getting up. Day. Yeah, mm-hmm. getting up out of bed every day, isn't it? Absolutely. And there is a bit of that as well. Um, but the book is lo- largely about very frightened parents trying to do their best for their children Mm. you know when I read um you know Pine Ridge is where it's set and a rural eco village it's off the grid and remote like to me that just sounds wonderful you know living off the land in a community doesn't it it sound wonderful yeah well I I I I found an eco village weirdly um down the road from me there's one just yeah like 20 minutes drive from me wow and so I've spent a lot of time um with these these people in this community and they have been you know the book is not um based there it's not set there specifically I've also used um you know I've researched a lot of other eco villages both in Australia and overseas um just to kind of get a flavor of of how they work and um you know logistics and um specifics but the 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 local eco village has been they've just been so welcoming and so beautiful and you know they've had me over for tea and um I've I've done a couple of webinars with them because they're in they're a demonstration eco village so they do a lot of um, educational workshops and events they they run open days you can Mm. go on tours there they show you how they um how they build their houses they show you how they grow their food they show you how they uh fertilize their land you know they they're they're amazing they're amazing Mm, that sounds Um, amazing yeah and it is a really gorgeous beautiful place it's very beguiling and interesting but funnily enough you know whenever I've spoken to people about eco villages or mentioned them there is still a kind of a funny stigma and people go oh what's going on there then oh they're a bit weird aren't they and of course they are because they're you know they're they're a tight-knit community and we are an individualistic society so Mm -hmm. I think you know at the moment we 
we're often quite suspicious of people that live so closely like that. Mm. But you can't yeah. help but think that's it has to be a glimpse of what the future may look like. You know, if we're going to try and take care of our environment, if we're going to not try and overwork ourselves to death, you know, that could be something to look at in the future of, of a way of life. Possibly. Absolutely. I really hope so. I mean, the people that I've spoken to are living a wonderful life and they're being really creative mm. um, in terms of thinking about sustainability. Uh, I, for one, I'm, I, uh, I'm a bit weird about community. Like I, I kind of want it on my own terms, you know, <laughs> I sort of want, I want the people around me for when I want them, but I, I'm <laughs> such a personal space person. I get really weird um, about, you know, like, um, like with my children's school, I really want to be involved. I, I want to be that, that, that parent that's, you know, kind of pitching in, but I also just want to do it when I want to do it because sometimes I'm not up for it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. So I, I would be a bit rubbish, I think. Oh, no, totally. But you'd be the rebel in the rural. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Maybe we can have our own sort of um, rural eco village for the rebels. Cause I think, yeah. I, I think I might fit in there too. But for the people who are sort of one foot in one foot out. <laughs> that's <laughs> fence sitters yeah the fence sitters <laughs> I like community but not all the time yeah get away from me today <laughs> yeah <laughs> but of course your setting um is an important factor in the novel but you know there's, there's so much behind the setting as well you know you see this idyllic place and usually that's what happens in thrillers there's you know secrets behind that so tell us about the setting because it's both of your novels the settings are key to the story yeah yeah um all right, so Pine Ridge is a new eco-village um, and it has been built on what used to be farmland and that farmland um, belonged to a family called the Kellermans and they ran a, um, a flower farm that had been going for you know, many generations. It had been in their family for a long time. Um, so you've got this beautiful stretch of land that's being farmed for flowers and it's 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 built it was um built on a, a you know a valley so at the the bottom of the valley you've got this beautiful dam uh and then um you know trees and, and rainforest all the way up the sides of the dam and and this gorgeous flower farm so very remote but um the location's kind of just about an, uh, an hour or two north of sydney um and um, maybe another hour from, from the coast. Uh, so it's not completely um, removed and isolated, um, but it is in its own bubble. And the land itself is, is very reminiscent of a little bubble as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. No, I love how settings play such an important part in a lot of thrillers, particularly um, both your novels. And I just love that because they almost come, they almost become like this character in themselves. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, with The Safe Place, that was very much the case. And um, the two houses mm -hmm. in that book as well kind of were their own characters. Same here. Um, we've got an old farmhouse. Uh, so the, the story follows two um, timelines, one back in the flower farm um, six years previously and one in the present day. Um, you know following all the characters in the the eco village um and so the timeline uh with the kellerman family that's that's very much centered around this this house their family home which in the present timeline is abandoned uh, and they have gone so yeah I, I feel like that you know that house it was very clear in in my mind um 
and as was the land you know I kind of feel in my imagination I know it incredibly well um I think this story as well um which perhaps the safe place didn't do this one is very much about the land itself um rather than just like the building yeah the structure of it yeah Absolutely. No, that was different. Now, I'm interested in the past and secrets and how, you know, the past always seems to catch up with you. You can never escape it. You can go somewhere else. You can start again. But it seems as though the past is always a part of who you are. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's how the characters manage that. How did you, what do you think about that? I'm fascinated by it. And I think, you know, as I move forward and I start thinking about ideas for the next book, I just, I think it's a preoccupation of mine. I, I, um, I'm somebody that's always moved around a lot. I've always traveled a lot. My whole family does. We, we are a bit sort of itinerant. Um, and, uh, you know, but, but we all carry these things with us that, that we can never escape. Yeah. Um, I've got a very, very wise school friend that um, a few years ago I was kind of having a bit of a, you know, personal crisis, as you do. And, um, you know, she said to me, we've all got this kind of, you know, we've all got these monsters that they, they will always rear their heads and they are always the same monsters. Yeah. Um, and you will, you might not recognize them as that, you know, that same monster as it comes back at you again and again. But she said like, you know, half of um, getting older and kind of getting, you know, becoming mature and, and understanding yourself more is 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 recognizing that it's the same monster mm. again and again and again and I thought that was so interesting um I think it I think it's true um, and certainly all my characters thus far are all carrying things that they will continue to carry mm. through the rest of their lives but that you know the healing um and a kind of point of power is through facing them and understanding them and seeing them for what they are. Yeah. And owning them and naming them. Yeah. Because I think if you're trying to push them aside, that's when they're going to come back as those monsters. But if you if you're owning them and, and acknowledging them, I think they lose their power a little bit. And kind of just acknowledging that they are part of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's okay. It's not necessarily a bad thing. That's not okay. always. You know, that there there are ways to move on. And I I I think that, you know, with the shadow house that was really something I had in mind the whole time you know we we can move on it is possible to move through these things and move past them um it's really hard uh, and you know again that's uh, something that was bubbling away through 2020 and <laughs> continues to bubble away in 2021 you know absolutely we can move on we can move past things but it's really difficult um mm. but yeah particularly you know with with specific reference to um ghosts of the past um yeah these characters are, are very much dealing with the things that that follow them around and have always followed them around um yeah Mm, that's very yeah. interesting I love that idea of the, of the characters because it's very real you know to us as well and you think you know I think we always try and um you know when you heal you want to forget but I think it's okay for those things to become and remain a part of you I think that's okay I think it is as well um yeah I think and, and again it's going back to what you said about vulnerability as well you know the, one of the advantages of living in a uh, kind of in information saturated era is that 
you know, we are increasingly becoming okay with admitting vulnerability. The more people Absolutely. do it, the more people put their hands up and say that happened to me and it was awful, or I struggle with that, or I am struggling with that. You know, there's kind of comfort in that. And we, we all together figure out our shit together, you know, together. Yeah, true. Um, and um, we don't feel as weird or as um, awkward or yeah. as alone. Um, yeah. It's true. When you yeah. see other people yeah. you know, facing things that are similar to you, yeah, um, and you and you really lean into that vulnerability, I think it helps everybody. You know, instead of pretending okay. that everything's your perfect filtered Instagram feed, <laughs> I think it's important to show, you know, that we all struggle and that's okay because we all can see the other side. Yeah, and I mean, we, you know, we're all living in different echo chambers. We're all living in different bubbles. But certainly, I, I, I'm not seeing very much pretense of perfection anymore no there's, there's a think, lot yeah, of I think um, that's um yeah yeah I think that's a thing of the past now which is good and we do got to keep leaning into that I think to make us yeah yeah help other people including ourselves now oh, what I loved yes. I love gothic fiction and gothic oh, literature yeah I love it too and you know there are hints of folklore and urban legend and of course gothic literature in your book and were these intentional including these since you know you're a fan of gothic fiction as well yeah Oh my god, I love creepy houses. I love them so much. <laughs> I'm watching um just started uh Chapelweight on um oh, Stan, okay. which is you know, it's just amazing. I love I love terrifying creepy house stories. Um I, I don't know that with this book I set out though to write a creepy house book uh, or a, a gothic book necessarily. I think those things have just arisen naturally and organically. Um, the book originally, and I say originally because I wrote a first draft uh, of, of, I want to say this book, but it really wasn't this book. I wrote this first draft and it did not work. So I had to throw about 90% of it out and start again. Um, so the original idea was based more with these, these two mothers mm -hmm. um, and, these, and their two sons um, and how they came together and their, their differences and their similarities and their parallels and the things that they were struggling with. So it didn't, the, the, the seed of the idea did not come from a gothic place per se, but of course the gothic is about families and secrets and isolation um and hidden buried you know ghosts and monsters be they real or, or not you know um so any any um dark or frightening story that's rooted in family does it lends itself to the gothic if you're going to um you know include a a physical home as well yeah absolutely um i mean I'm I'm really I'm really drawn to the dark stuff. I I love. I think it just comes out when I write. You know, just the um, the the darkness and and the kind of the mystery. I'm not sure I could ever write a kind of a full um, <laughs> rom com or anything like that. There would always have to be something a bit creepy going on in the background. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would say my most beloved. Um, films and and stories are are probably uh, they have a gothic flavor flavor mm. to them or a little tinge of horror some of them are full horror you know yeah. yeah i do i do like it yeah i agree i have the same sort of fascination i don't know what it is it might be that sort of experiencing those odd strange things and the fear sort of 
and exploring those through through the safety of your own home absolutely no it's it's 100 that's what it is it's (laughs) it's a safe way to work Mm -hmm. through um you know things that you find frightening or fascinating or or fascinating or bewildering it's it's a very safe way to to go down those rabbit holes and see what's down them um I think it's also it is 100% as well about working out things that you don't understand you know go go to the dark places in your mind and rummage around and find out what's in there and why that kind of thing I love that I love that a lot um how's your process evolved your writing process so two novels in has it stayed the same or is it a bit different has it evolved (laughs) I'm smiling because (laughs) this like like, ah writing process I know (laughs) I just don't know how to answer that at this stage like so with the same place last year um I I felt like I'd I I had a process and I was very clear about it and I could discuss it um and I had kind of both I tried both pantsing and planning and I'd come to the conclusion that planning was was my thing um I mean I I've carried some of those things over to this time um but this has been such a chaotic process it's been such a mad experience largely because you know, I've never worked with deadlines before. I've, I've got, I, it was such a culture shock. It was so new. And I felt that this, writing this book was so, um, it was really stressful um, and trying to quickly come up with ideas and quickly change things um, when I didn't necessarily have the confidence um to kind of think you know to tell myself this will be all right you you will have this idea it will come to you you'll you'll be okay I was just like oh my god oh I've got this deadline and nothing's coming out and what do I do so I kind of I tried all sorts of different things I think that the one thing that has emerged that I I do use I do fall back on and I will probably continue to use are sticky notes <laughs> I'm really big on sticky notes I think they're fantastic I I clearly work very visually mm-hmm. so every time I'm stuck or you know if I'm trying to work through a, a plot idea or a problem or you know trying to um, figure out a sequence of events or anything if I can visually see it and and touch it as well so um uh what are they called? Excel spreadsheets. Dial, Spreadsheet. Spreadsheet. No, spreadsheets don't yeah. do it for me. I can't. I, I, see, I couldn't even remember the name of them. I don't use them. <laughs> <laughs> What's that thing with the grids? Um, you know, I can't. I can't. I, 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 I like being able to touch them and move things around like a jigsaw puzzle. So I have this big sheet of paper up on the wall and I use sticky notes and I I and then it doesn't feel so locked in either. I think mm-hmm. that's another yeah. terrifying thing for me. If I feel like I've shoved the bricks of the house in and the concrete has set, I start to really wig out. But, you know, if I feel like the concrete is fluid and I can see that actually that scene is just a piece of paper. If you don't like it, if you don't want that that. to happen, you take it off, screw it up and you write another one, pop something else there. And it also helps as well. Like I said, if you if I'm stuck and, and I need to dislodge a couple of ideas that are not working, but for some reason, my mind has kind of married itself to that idea I don't know if that is, is familiar to yeah, you but you know sense. sometimes you just get a feeling you don't know why an idea isn't working but you, 
but you can't shake it from your head. You're like, for some reason, you're like, no, no, that is the thing that has to happen. But of course it's not. Mm -hmm. So, you know, sometimes it's move all those things around. Um, So with the first failed draft that I mentioned, you know, one of the things I did was I I printed it out and I literally cut up the scenes, laid them out on the floor and started moving them around. Like, what if, what if the the book starts with this scene? What does that Mm -hmm. look like? Does Mm -hmm. that make any sense? Does that change anything? Um, what if I stick a scene in, in here, uh, that, that does X, you know, that has X, X function, does Mm. that change anything? And then your, your brain starts to make new pathways and, and starts opening new doors. Um, so that has very much been a process and that, I do want to carry that through. Um, I use it at every stage of the process, this kind of visual sticky noting. And um, it's a great way to mark your your progress as well, I think, when you're redrafting. So every time I write a new draft, um, I print it out and then I start taking my, you know, my own notes and the notes of my editors. And I put those notes all over the draft in sticky note form and then Mm -hmm. as you address them you start taking the sticky notes off so you can see how many are left to go and satisfying um, you can see progress yeah 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 (laughs) so um yeah sticky notes that's how I'm answering that question (laughs) what is your process like sticky notes everywhere (laughs) everywhere on the manuscript on the wall on the floor everywhere everywhere on yourself everywhere (laughs) but other than that I wouldn't know how to answer it because like I said it's been a really chaotic Mm. and bizarre fast um process and you know it's almost been um it's almost been like a train whizzing by mm-hmm. uh, and I've just grabbed whatever I can and stuck it together and well it's then, working yeah. whatever you're doing it's working <laughs> thank <enough>. you <laughs> thanks <laughs> now I did ask you before why you write but you know why do you keep writing oh because I can't not um <laughs> you know this whole last 18 months you know the pandemic and lockdown and everything um in a way it's been quite reminiscent of those early baby years when you know you can't you can't leave the house and everything just you know your your world shrinks and reduces Mm -hmm. and you you kind of lose perspective so again it's the storytelling I called it the other day, it's self-medicating with stories. It, that's kind of what it feels like to me. Love and it's, it's immediately where my brain and my heart go in times of trouble, you know, be it binge watching stuff or binge reading novels. For me, you know, losing myself in an idea, it's not something that I have any control of at the moment. It's just where my mind goes. And so I've got all these ideas coming for the next book and I'm just, I'm just writing them down, writing them down and journaling them. And, you know, but it's, it's what I want to do. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like work at the moment. It, you know, I'm kind of in my house trying to um, think of fun things to do for my kids for the school holidays. And and in my head, my, you know, my, my brain is just saying, just get back to the desk. It's okay Mm -hmm. at the desk it's everything's fine at the desk you know like it's my it's my safe place it's my my fun Uh, it's how I relax it's how I stimulate myself um it's how I work things out um but then there you know there is also the danger of um of going too deeply into it and kind of becoming a, a bit obsessed so um I think you can go a little too far with it 
so I guess you know you, you've got to try and um, strive for a balance um, but yeah I mean the, the answer why do I keep writing because I god I love it I love it so 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 much it's so fun it's so challenging um, it's so difficult there were there were points writing the shadow house where I, I honest to god I hated it. I was miserable. I was crying tears of frustration because I could not get the story right. And the deadline was looming and I was psyching myself out as I do, you know, self-doubt and all that stuff. But, but when you get it right, there's just no, there's no feeling like it. And you, I also can't not go back to it. There was no point, even when I was frustrated and afraid, there was no point at which I thought, well, I'm just not going to do it. Mm. I can't do it. Yeah. It's just never an option. Mm, I love that. But I do love listening to people talk about how difficult it is and how challenging it is. And, you know, you speak to, to writers, you know, like Jack Heath, who has written 30 plus books or 35 plus books. He's he still, amazing. He is amazing. And he Honestly. still has that crushing self-doubt three quarters in, you know. So I think it's almost part of the process and, and that self-doubt, it almost makes you better because you're not going to settle for that storyline that doesn't work or that character that isn't engaging. And I think that self-doubt, as long as you don't let it cripple you, That's right. I think it can really propel you to achieve even better things in your story. Yeah, I think so. I think it's um, it's like anything, isn't it? It's a double-edged sword. It's a blessing and a curse. Um, <laughs> you just can't fall over the edge of it crippling you. <laughs> no, that's right. As long as it's driving you to... Um, to do better I think it's it's probably maybe a good thing it doesn't feel like no it doesn't thing. feel like a good thing. <laughs> self-doubt never feels like a good thing but I think you know you you are right you you there, there is a part of you that that always says um you can do better or oh, I don't know maybe that's that I don't know I just think that. if you don't have self-doubt like near enough will be good enough you know maybe maybe it's that mm, I, don't I don't know, know. I don't know I just I, I it is a real um thing with creatives isn't it I think we we all have that uh, I, I've never met a writer or an actor or an artist that doesn't suffer from kind of crippling self-doubt at, at points but it's also that um compulsive drive to make something yeah for sure. and to make it good yeah. um so I think that the two probably go hand in hand and they form like um an Arubaros. <laughs> oh, <laughs> an Arubaros, thank you. That is very fancy. Pulling Emma. that out the hat. <laughs> Love it. It's called me Big Words Downs. It's my new name. Anna, Big Words Downs. <laughs> yeah. Welcome. Thanks. It's <laughs> going on the book for the next one. It's always such a pleasure to speak to you, Anna. I think we always have such interesting conversations. Yeah. We always have a bit of a giggle. And I really look forward to maybe in, you know, post lockdown, we can have a little laugh again, maybe in a place, oh. that, you know, open and we're allowed to laugh as loud as we like. Yeah, but do you know what? I've, I've been saying to, to people, I think we all need to be really aware that when we do get together, our threshold for kind oh. of, you know, our tolerance for yes. socialising is probably going to be really affected. And I can imagine, you know, we'll all go, oh, my God, this is amazing, and then all just pass out. <laughs> So I think we just need to go gently. Yes, go gently. You know, it could go either way. It could go either way. You could just be like making up for the last two years without looking back. Or you might be like, okay, this is enough social interaction for me now. I don't know what to do with this. I reckon that if we just just manage our expectations, 
and go gently. That's my mm. advice to everyone. Mm. You know, the roadmap to recovery, whatever it is, as mm. we go, let's just be, let's just not have too many expectations. Don't, don't book 10 nights in a pub let's one after, back to back. Don't do that. Let's not, because I think we'll all just spontaneously combust. <laughs> oh, I think we'll just get too excited. Well, I will anyway. I think I, I, I'm in danger of that as well. <laughs> <laughs> the extroverts among us are like, get me out of here. <laughs> We all explode. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Anna. I loved the Shadow House. You know, I loved the safe place as well. I really like your creepy characters and your even creepier settings. And you think how these characters going to get through this? How are they going to get through their their vulnerability and how they're going to, you know, unravel everything around them? And so, you know, I love the way your books unfold and you're always sort of guessing until the end and, and your characters are really compelling as well. So thank you for writing another bloody yeah. awesome book, Anna. Thanks, Danny. That means such a lot. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. We'd love to engage with you on social media. You can find the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, Danny B Books, Words and Nerds podcast. You can also subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Stay safe and read more books.